Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. We're continuing in our series called Our Quest, and this is all about just taking an intentional time together to reflect, to refocus, to discover where God is taking us next in our growth as individuals. Last week, I asked you to do something. I asked you to write down uh, all you wish you could change, all the stuff you wanted to change in your life, from character and sin issues that you wanted to change, to, to job competency things you wanted to grow in, to dreams that you know you have to grow in some area in order to fulfill, to relate relationships, whether it's your marriage or whether it's parenting or or friends or colleagues, all the areas you want to change, to write them down. And then I said, do nothing with them. No goal setting, no problem solving, no actions, no change. Just put the list in front of you. Feel what it looks like to look at that list tangibly of all the things you want to change. And then allow yourself to begin to worship and experience God's grace and his love coming towards you as you understand the idea that he's justified you like we talked about last week. That he is now, if you're a follower of him, you are in relationship with him just as if you had never sinned, as if you had never failed, as if you were never imperfect. I mean, just loving you in that moment. And now, obviously, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you aren't justified yet because that's a gift that Jesus gives you when you declare your allegiance to him and choose to follow him. But whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, if you did that meditation exercise, what was it like for you in that moment to imagine that list and God loving you in spite of that list right there in that moment with all that in front of you? I've been in a really busy stretch just because of the life going on and some of the extra things going on. And a lot of times when I'm tired, I'm probably a lot like you. I, I find myself more susceptible to feeling that need to change, feeling that weight of wanting to change. Come on. So I took some time like I asked you to do and did that, did this whole exercise myself. And I listed in my mind all the areas that I wish I could change. I wish I could be better in the, the areas that I still am too susceptible to falling into sin. And I, and as I was thinking about all that stuff and looking at it, I, I could feel my chest getting heavier and heavier. And then I began to worship those and close my eyes and I began to thank Jesus that he loves me even with all that stuff on the list. That he accepts me and cares for me and I'm secure in my relationship right even with all that stuff. And I got to tell you, I felt this sense of peace and this calm begin to well up in me. And that's really the foundation from which we make changes as followers of Jesus. That's what the foundation is based upon, feeling confident that God has forgiven us, feeling that out of his love he continues to pursue me that I can be confident, confident that he accepts me even when I mess up, that I can't earn his love, I have his love. And that changes the way I think, the way I feel, the way I, the way I respond, and it changes me from the inside out. And therefore, it's really essential, isn't it, that we meditate, take time to meditate on God and experience that God, that love and that acceptance right where we are before we even make a decision to start to change. 
Paul talks about this idea in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18. He uses a term that you might not understand, so let me explain it before we get into it. He uses the term unveiled faces. And without, without going into all the historical background of what he's referring to there, what he's basically saying by that term is that we can have this close, personal, clear relationship with God. When we, when we follow him and his spirit indwells us. And what Paul's talking about in this passage is the power of meditation to bring true change to our lives, like I asked you to do this last week. Because change isn't just about doing something. It's about something inside of us also being rewired. Paul says it this way. He says, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate, we get to meditate on the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it's this ever-increasing glory God wants to bring into each and every one of our lives when we let him come in and change us. So with that foundation, today we're going to start to talk about personal growth having intentional decisions that we need to make in order to grow personally as people. You received on your way in a sheet uh, that, that says personal growth focus, personal decision sheet. If you didn't get one, it would be really beneficial for every single one of you to have one of these. So go ahead and raise your hands and the ushers will get you one if you don't have one uh, because we're going to do a lot with this this week and over the next coming weeks we're going to have one of these sheets for each message. So they'll be around as quickly as possible. Just keep your hands up. Today, each and of the next three weeks, I'm going to do something that I'm going to say is like pulling a Starbucks on us. How many of you remember that dreadful day in February of 2008 when you went to Starbucks to get your fix and you saw on the sign on the door that was locked a sign posted saying, we are closed because we're taking time to perfect our espresso. Great espresso requires practice. That's why we're dedicating ourselves to honing our craft. And you went, I just want my fix. And you walked away from Starbucks that day in withdrawal, going down the street to that other place, right? The decision to train and close the stores that day for refocusing was done by Chairman and CEO Howard Schultz upon taking back the reins of Starbucks after it had gone through a time where it had lost a bit of its edge and lost a bit of its profit. That day, Wall Street couldn't believe they took actual store hours to do this. Many customers complained. Yet in the end, the move proved to steer Starbucks away from the troubled waters they were heading into and focus them on the important things. For three hours that day, instead of selling product, all 135,000 employees, think about that, that's 405,000 hours of employee time was used to train people in the Starbucks experience. They focused back on the basics instead of selling. The company took time to focus and refocus. And here's the question. If Starbucks took the time to perfect their espresso, then what are you doing to improve your personal growth so you experience more and more of the abundant life Jesus promises? So in keeping with Starbucks for the next three Not ours today, the next three Sundays, a short 95, maybe 105 minutes in total. We're going to take time 
to work through some inventory work and let God speak to each one of us about how he wants us and what he really wants us to focus on in our own growth. It's not going to be a one-solution-fits-all type of thing. So I'm going to lead you through a number of different areas of questions that you can reflect each week and prayerfully ask yourself for God to speak to you to help focus you on the one thing you can do to follow Jesus and become more like him and experience his life. Our core verse for the series is Luke 2.52. And it talks about Jesus growing, but Jesus wants this same thing for us. It says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This one short verse takes all of life into account. It talks about physical growth, about intellectual growth, about spiritual and relational growth. See, following Jesus is supposed to affect every single area of our life with increased favor and increased blessing from our bodies to our minds to our relationships to our emotions and our hearts to the competencies we demonstrate at work to the way we think and how clearly we think. So today we're going to talk about three areas for personal growth. Spiritual habits, emotional habits, and relational habits. As we look at the series, I want you to be asking God, what's the one thing today that we touch on What's the one most important thing that you, Lord, want me to focus on right now to grow in this season of my life? Just one thing, one new bullseye from personal growth today. Now, why are we talking about habits? Well, habits are the things that help us navigate life well, aren't they? I mean, some are like they're automatic, like breathing, right? And some are learned, kind of like sports. So... The best basketball coach my son Jared ever had was a master at teaching habits. The first year Jared ever played basketball, he went to a clinic once a week with 30 other kids, and for their 90-minute session, they would spend the first 75 just running drills, the two-ball dribble drills, passing and jump stop and pivots and perfect shooting form drills and instilling all the basic habits over and over again. Then the last 15 minutes of the time they were together, they'd let him play a game. But there was actually... No coaching, no positioning, no plays going on. It was just street ball, five-on-five street ball that they got to play. I loved the training, but I kept wondering, would just the habits alone and no game strategy coaching work? Well, the first couple seasons they played in the top league in the area, and his academy kids formed a team, and they typically won every game by more than 20 points. I mean, one of the games they won by over 60 points, and they had a five-passing rule after the first couple minutes before you could shoot. And then they went to a 10-pass rule before you could shoot, and they still won by 60 points. They played the other basketball academy team, which were all five, six inches taller than them, and beat them by 15 points. What I discovered in observing that, for me, was a life truth. Good habits in and of themselves aren't an end. But rather, good habits give us the ability to pay attention to the game instead of paying attention to the skills we need to play the game. And we find more fun and more success in life with good habits. The same is true in life. Good habits allow us to successfully navigate life and teamwork and relationships because we don't have to think about the habits. We get to enjoy those other things in life. Now, the first area of the three we're going to assess today is spiritual habits. These are the habits of connecting with God in relationship and experiencing his power and his presence and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit with us. So the question is, how are your spiritual habits? 
In the classic Christian language, we talk about these as spiritual disciplines. Dallas Willard, one of the foremost writers in, on spiritual disciplines of the last century, talked about habits this way. He said they are the outbreathing and inbreathing of spiritual training. And he reiterated that they are not the end in themselves, but without them, we cannot ever experience an abundant life as Jesus followers. Now, there are lots of lists of spiritual habits out there, but let me just simplify and summarize them in a way that will help us maybe reflect on them and, and see if God's inviting us to grow in one of them. The first category of spiritual habits are habits of engagement. They are the habits of breathing in. They're the habits of bringing life into our being. They're things like prayer, where we commune with God and we hear him and we discern what he's saying and his will and understand him, right? And there are habits like Bible study, where we're studying God's word so his truth becomes our truth. And the question there is, how are you doing about increasing your understanding of God's word, the Bible? I mean, if your growth is stagnating in life and your faith... Could it be that you're not storing up enough knowledge and wisdom to allow God to speak to you and lead you more clearly? Last week we quoted a verse from Proverbs 2, and I'm going to just look at some of that today again, because it speaks to this. It says, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God, not just your own opinions, Not just the culture's opinions, but real, true truth that works. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. But we know that change isn't just about head knowledge either, right? It's also about experiencing God. It's about allowing God to rewire our hearts so that we can encounter his spirit through things like imagination and pondering and examining and listening, which is another spiritual habit we referred to early called meditation. Because change isn't just about knowing the right thing. It's not just about setting a goal and just doing it, what we refer to as obedience. Though obedience and just doing it is often what we're neglecting in our faith. Sometimes we know what to do and it's preventing us from going forward because we're not doing what we know God wants us to do. But if just doing it were all we needed, then every single New Year's resolution you made would be be a success. And we know that's not true, right? I mean, sometimes growth requires rewiring of our emotions, our thoughts, our instincts before we can successfully obey, right? And that comes, that rewiring comes from using our imagination in prayer with God to soak in ideas like we asked you to this last week, like the idea of justification. So we begin to experience God and his love before we even have to act it out in our outward behavior. He begins to rewire our insides by experiencing him through meditation. There's another habit called worship. We struggle a little bit with worship. What is it? I mean, what is worship? Oftentimes we think of worship as just the music of uh, of what we do on Sunday mornings. But worship is much bigger than that. And worship as a spiritual habit, I think, is actually better understood through maybe two questions. The first question is, how readily are you aware of God's presence and goodness in your life? And the second question is, how are you expressing constant gratefulness, hope, and dependence upon his presence with you? Are you acknowledging him with gratefulness and trust in all of your ways? 
Do you continue to worship Him and expect Him to lead you and work in your situation even when you don't know where He is or what He's doing? And even in that time, do you give Him praise and are you grateful and express your thanks to Him? These are habits of engagement. They're things that we do to engage with God and bring truth into our being in each and every day experience for us. And then there are also the habits of abstinence. Habits of abstinence are the breathing out. And I think they're actually really important today, especially in our busy world full of electronics. They're things like the habit of silence and solitude. Are you regularly unplugging and giving yourself silence and solitude to process life with God? Are you denying yourself the comfort of a good story on TV or music that just distracts or people that comfort you to help you avoid having to face what you don't want to face and instead are you learning to find comfort from God alone by facing that with Him without distraction? There's a habit of Sabbath. Are you making room and rest to worship and uh, for rest and worship and recreation in your life for God to recreate you? See, we are so driven as Americans, aren't we? And we ignore this one of the Ten Commandments, but God thinks it's so important that He puts it in there with the other ten, that some of the more big ones that we look like look at, like murder and adultery and coveting and greed. He puts Sabbath right in there with those. Pretty important to our health, God says. And there's the habit of fasting. We deny one, where you deny yourself food or food and water for a specified time for focus on prayer and worship and serving others. And then there's the habit of confession and repentance, which sometimes gets flipped between the two different categories, but we're putting it in the abstinence one here today. It's, the word repentance actually means turn. The original Greek means turn. So this one is really about how quickly do you turn to God and receive his grace and love and power when you mess up? And how honest are you with your sin and your failure? James, the half-brother of Jesus, the original leader of the Jerusalem church, talks about this. He says, confess your sins to one another so that you, are, so that you may be healed, so that you may be changed for the good. See, we can either avoid our guilt and not confess and try to go through life saving face and looking good, or we can face our guilt and we can confess it and we can learn to quickly turn back towards Jesus instead of holding him off at a distance like we often do when we mess up. And you see, this is where the rubber of friendship meets the road. Maybe the focus for you that God might be leading to you is for, is for you to be more honest in your confession with someone in your small group or a friend or, or somebody you meet for lunch with regularly. Sin loves darkness and temptation is always harder when we face it alone. Change is always harder when we try to do it alone. These are the habs, habits of abstinence. There's a book out called Great by Choice by Jim Collins. And he tells us in it the story of two great adventurers who were the first people in modern history to try to get to the South Pole. The year is 1911. It's summer, but that means it's still 20 below, so it's pretty harsh conditions. One team was led by a guy named Roald Amundsen, and another one was led by Robert Falcon Scott. 
Both men were roughly the same age, roughly the same experience. Both started their 1,400-mile journey at about the same time. Both endured the same conditions. But as he tells the story, he notes that the two had dramatically different strategies in how they faced it. See, Scott led his team according to the current conditions. If it was good weather, his team would march 30, 40, sometimes even 50 miles in a day. If it was bad weather, with gale force whiteout winds, they would travel less, sometimes not at all. He let the environmental pressures determine his work and his distance that he would go. Amundsen, on the other hand, had a different strategy. He basically said, I'm going to march 15 to 20 miles each day, regardless of the conditions. Good days, he did the same, even though some of his team challenged him. We should go further. This is a great day. On the bad days, he did exactly the same, 15 to 20 miles, even though some of them on his team complained. He didn't let the environment or the conditions or suggestions of his team sway him. He marched 15 to 20 miles every day, and then he rested, even if they didn't feel like it. In the end, who do you think got there first? It was Amundsen, and he won big. He got there 34 days before Scott's team arrived at the South Pole. In fact, Scott, on his return journey, his whole team died of exhaustion on the return journey. What are the habits, what are the rhythms of your life that allow you to live fully each day regardless of the environmental circumstances and the pressures you're facing? What spiritual habits does God want you to grow in? We're going to take a little time with the piece of paper you've got right now. On the front page, it lists the spiritual habits, and it's got several uh, questions for you to ponder. Just go with first impressions. I'm going to give you about two minutes to actually reflect on this before we move on. Okay, a second area God may want your new bullseye for personal growth to come from is emotional habits. And this is the area where we talk about managing stress, worry, anger, anxiety better. Matthew 6, Jesus says to us this. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In Luke 12, Jesus asks this question. He says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? One of my all-time favorite movie lines uh, came from a recent movie, The Bridge of Spies. How many of you have seen that one? Uh, there's several times in that movie where the lawyer, t- played by Tom Hanks, asks this Russian spy questions like, aren't you worried about going to the electric chair? Or aren't you worried about what people will do to you, whether they'll kill you, whether they'll, whether they'll abuse you? And each time he asks the Russian this spy this question of, aren't you worried, his deadpan, nonchalant answer is, would it help? And isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? Some of us in here self-identify as worriers, as people who struggle with worry. But many of us don't take that term on ourselves, but we worry nonetheless. Instead, we talk about our drivenness, our type A personality, our intense stress we feel about our jobs. And worry to us feels like a weak word, so we can't own that one. But much of that emotional stress and that drivenness that we feel is worry. We're thinking about, will I meet quota? Will I get things done? Will I succeed and get that promotion? Will someone else outperform me and take my job one day? 
Even in our parenting, a lot of times we're driven to plan too many things for our kids, overpacking our schedules because we're worried about ensuring that our kids have all the opportunities they need in life for success, right? The Bible says that worry, anxiety, stress of that kind is not what God wants us to live in. It isn't from him. It's not his idea of a blessed or successful life. It isn't how he created us to be. We were not created to be a worrier. We were not created to have anxiety about conflict or about things going well or about relationships or about money. 1 Peter 5 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, all your stress, all your worries, all your drivenness on him because he cares for you. And it goes on from there. But the question is, do you live from a place of believing life is full and abundant and God has given you everything you need to succeed in what he's called you to do in life? Or do you live life from a place where you... It's like you're driving on a trip at night and your gas gauge is unempty and you're wondering whether you're going to be out of gas in the dark along the side of the road. Do you live life expecting God to solve conflict and restore right relationship and live in that from the place of fullness, full confidence and peace in the midst of the valley of conflict? Or do you live afraid of conflict, expecting pain and hurt as the only thing you get? Do you live expecting God to provide all of your financial needs? Or do you live worried about having enough? Do you live expecting God to help you be a good enough parent? Or do you live in fear that you'll make a mistake and you'll screw your kids up and you might even lose relationship with them? Do you live tense all the time, tightly wired, stressed, anxious, worried, driven, Or do you live from a place of peace, contentment, fullness of confidence in God's ability to lead you and work through you? God's love for you wants you to live in that place of peace, free of worry, right now, no matter what's going on in your life. He wants you to rewrite your identity. If you self-identify as one who is a worrier, or if you self-identify as one who is afraid of conflict, or if you self-identify as one who is high stress and driven, he desires for you to live from a place of peace as a gift from him. So take a moment, flip your, flip your paper over, and take a moment to do some first impression responses to the questions on emotional habits. I'll give you a couple minutes on that to consider that. The final area for personal growth that we're going to look at is relationship habits. Jesus in the Great Commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is one of those things, I I think the the problem with love is not the want to. I I haven't met anyone who doesn't want to be loved. I, I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't in some way want to love other people. The issue with love in relationships is the problem of losing the battle of love. We lose the battle, I think, in one of two ways. We lose it either by we don't have the spiritual and emotionally healthy habits to write and rewrite messages in our heart, and therefore we lose the battle. For example, you get hurt, and what happens? Your heart is written with a message from that pain, isn't it? 
And you struggle with that pain to forgive. You struggle with that pain to overcome that and open yourself up and love again. Instead of allowing God to come in through healthy emotional and spiritual habits and rewrite that pain, we get stuck there and we lose the battle. Instead of moving through the pain to the point where we're past it and we get to see the true beauty of love, we get stuck. The second way we lose the battle of love is simply this, by a lack of understanding and wisdom. We lack the skill in how to speak and how to listen and how to understand people who are wired differently than us. Proverbs 10 alludes to this in many different ways. Just a couple of the verses in verse 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, it says, but the prudent hold their tongues. In 12, 18, it says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the question is, are you confident in having good conflict resolution skills? Or do you just get in a fight or avoid conflict altogether? See, you can't love well if you either just fight or you avoid conflict altogether. And another question, do you know how to adjust your natural personality to another's who's different than you so you can communicate effectively? If you're a a take-charge, blunt type of person, can you adapt to communicate well with a person who needs time to think and process and, and needs more sensitivity and tact? If you're a person who needs more sensitivity and tact, can you learn to communicate bluntly and concisely with a person who needs that based upon the wiring and the way they view the world? Another question, do you have really good listening skills? Or are you confident in initiating conversation with someone you don't know well? Where might God want you to grow in your relationship skills? Because he wants you to grow in favor with not just him, but in favor with others as well. So again, take your paper. There's four questions at the bottom of the second page. There are five questions that just go again with some of your first responses. And just ask God to be in this moment with you. Kind of wrap things up today. Dallas Willard, uh, who we mentioned earlier, was once asked how he monitored the condition of his soul and discovered where God wanted him to personally grow. And he responded not with how much time he spent in the Bible, as important as that is, nor did he respond with his many spiritual disciplines he wrote and taught so prolifically on, like prayer and fasting and silence and Sabbath. He didn't talk about the health of his relationships, even though he was one of the most insightful writers of the last 30 years on building redemptive relationships with fellow believers and skeptics alike. He didn't talk about how theologically wise he was, even though he was also considered one of the wisest theologians of the last century. See, we need all those things. We need spiritual habits. We need emotional habits. We need relational habits. But they're not the measure of the condition of our soul. They are merely the critical habits that allow us to be in this game of life in potentially a healthy way. No, the way Willard actually assessed the condition of his soul was through two questions. He would ask himself, am I growing more or less easily irritated these days? And am I growing more or less easily discouraged these days? And aren't those the core questions of life and faith and relationship with God and relationship with others? 
to be more at peace, contented, grateful, joyful, forgiving, and loving instead of more easily irritated, and to be growing stronger in our optimism and endurance because of the hope, the love, the presence, and the power of Jesus in our lives. See, it's way too easy for us to live our lives with irritation and hopelessness because we live our lives too much depending on the circumstances around us, like Robert Falcon Scott, the South Pole explorer who died. And see, when we live like that based upon our circumstance, our life goes through huge swings. One day everything looks sunny and we beat ourselves into the ground trying to accomplish a lot because we know the troublesome days will come and we just feel this drive to push extra hard because the dream for our life feels so far away and we need to get to that goal. And then the next day everything looks horrible, this whiteout of pressure and activity going around us. So we struggle and we make little progress. But God wants us to have peace, contentment, and hope like Paul has, regardless of the circumstances. Romans 8, Paul talks about this. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, all these environmental circumstances we face in life, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on and says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine for just a moment the most difficult areas of growth that you listed today on your paper. Maybe even worse, the ones that you refuse to write down because you're in a public place and you wouldn't want anybody to ever see that on your paper. Imagine Jesus coming to you with that and giving you this depth of a sense of love and security so that you could face that challenge. With an eye, with, in the eye, with peace and, and joy and hope, with the same kind of confidence, Paul says here. See, that's the invitation that Jesus makes to all of us. That's the hope we all have. That's the strength that God wants to bring into each and every one of our lives in this room. And that comes by focusing on one thing, the next thing God wants you to grow in. So take a moment, look at your sheet. What is the one thing from today's thoughts, the one thing that God wants you to focus on? See, life's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't want to try to fix everything all at once. Let God come to you and focus you on just one thing. And it'll probably be different for each of us. Come on up, worship team. Let God point out what he wants to work on and make a personal decision to grow in that. And then talk with your small group, your family, maybe your friends, and talk with maybe even talk with a counselor at Thrive to get help to pursue that dream of being less anxious or whatever it is. It's about making an intentional personal decision and then asking for the help from whatever source you need it to walk that out successfully. So as you look at the answers today, maybe a slight modification of Willard's two questions might help you discover what's that one thing in personal growth that God wants you to focus on. And they're on your sheet. They're also on the screen. What is the most prevalent challenge causing irritation 
rather than peace? What is the most prevalent challenge causing discouragement rather than hope? And maybe that's the way God's going to point out the one area he wants you to focus on. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we ask that you would come to us. Thank you that you love us so much that you don't ask us to change everything all at once and you still accept us, forgive us, are patient with us, want to be with us, even in that list of things we have. Thank you that you want us to know that next thing and that your spirit is going to work in each and every one here to discern that one thing you want to grow in their lives that will bring your blessing, your hope, your freedom to them and to the people around them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to be here and that you would fulfill among us what you describe yourself as. You describe yourself as the counselor. Lord, come and be each one of our counselors right now to help us reach that abundant life you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.